the you know we spent just to kind of bring us up to speed we talked a little a little bit about the, the fact that um, well that, that God has always desired to create this thing which is also a, a people a corporate people which is also a uh, you can call it a, a um, some, there's so many different names, a, a land or an environment in which he, he fully gives himself and he establishes a relationship with this corporate body in such a way that, um, and he establishes a very specific kind of relationship, which is what we looked at when we talked about the, the priesthood, but it's all unto... A, a very, very specific purpose. And that purpose, the thing that it's going towards, the thing that it's always aiming at, is, I think you could say, it's the kingdom of God. You could, you could call it the kingdom of priests. The Bible calls it that on a number of occasions. But I really think that maybe more than any other of the... You could call it a harvest. You could call it a bride, whatever. But... No, for me, for me, more and more, um, the word the, the kingdom is is really the view that almost kind of encapsulates all the other ones, and <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about last time, if I'm not mistaken, that that we don't really know what the kingdom of God is in in the church for the most part. I mean, a lot of people say that they're serving the kingdom of God or that they're doing things for the kingdom of God and yet you come and you ask those people if you, if you, if you ever, you know, have the um, kind of the guts to, to do it. Yeah, well, well, what is the kingdom of God? <clears throat> and a lot of them don't really know how to answer that question. And if they do give you an answer, it usually doesn't have anything to do with the multitude of pictures that God has given us in the scriptures that pointed to the spiritual fulfillment. Everything that God, remember, before God even created a single Adam, God had in his heart, in his view, something that he wanted. And then the things that he began to create and the things that he made into physical brought into physical existence and physical representation were all things that were directed towards this this thing that he wanted. And so it, it you have to understand that the the natural creation and especially God's dealing with um, with Israel those were all those weren't just random happenstance stories and things that that happened. That was all directed. It was just. It was all just like it's like a uh, um, a um, well, what do you call it? Uh, a recipe almost to 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 build a to build a cake. You know, the cake was what he wanted, and 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 yet he kind of had this long uh, recipe throughout generations of, of things that all kind of were going into this cake, you know, uh, all the things that he would fulfill in this cake. And um, so the, 
the, the kingdom of God is, is such a huge thing, I believe, in the Lord's heart. And it is such a small thing in our heart. And I think that's like, uh, that, that, should, that should strike us. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but at least in my experience, um, I, don't, I, don't think I, remember, I don't think I ever really thought much about the kingdom of God. Certainly not according to the types and shadows of the Old Covenant, and certainly not the way that it's fulfilled in Christ. Um, remember, the, the, the word fulfillment, and I'm kind of bringing this, it's been a couple of weeks, so I'm kind of bringing this back up to speed. Remember the word fulfillment. When I think of the word fulfillment, I, th- I think we should always think of the arrival of the substance. That is to say, when, some, when God fulfills something, you can think of it as fulfilling his, the thing that he saw from the beginning coming into being. And the fulfillment always involves the, a change from, from the shadow to, to uh, the pictures God has drawn or demonstrated of that reality to the substance. And that, that involves a change in nature and it involves a change in place. The change in nature is from the natural to the to the spiritual. God's the whole natural creation, guys, and everything that God did in natural Israel was all to prefigure to to point to uh, the, the the spiritual and eternal reality that he um, that he he wanted from the beginning. God's God. God is spirit. And Jesus says this, and we, we don't get it. God is spirit, and those who worship Him, He says, in that context of John four, must worship Him in spirit and truth. Well, that's the fulfillment of the priesthood. But God is. But but then Jesus Himself says that the kingdom of God also has gone through. That the arrival of the kingdom has come. That's what he keeps saying throughout the Gospels. The kingdom's come. Go tell them the kingdom's come. But the arrival of the kingdom is a change from... It has a change in nature and place. Jesus specifically tells us that both of those are true. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not natural. And he says the kingdom of God is inside of you within you and and so we don't have to guess about these things we just have to turn our hearts <coughs> excuse me to to know and experience these realities um, so let's see here okay so that's a little bit of a of a review um, I think we kind of left off with I think, I, and I honestly don't remember, but I think I was trying to give you a little bit of a, a just a, a general working definition of the kingdom of God last time. If I did define the kingdom of God in a few words, I would say that the kingdom of God is an environment or uh, a land, a people, but I, I like the word environment in which all created things are are joined to the king and become they become perfectly aligned with in nature purpose mind character 
they become aligned with the king. It's an environment, it's a land, it's a creation. Uh, when I say creation, I don't mean necessarily something physical, because a creation is anything that is not part of God, you know, that was that was created as something um, in addition to God, and then, and then eventually joined to God, but a creation of people, all, all that's the same to me, that come, that, that, that has a relationship with the king that makes that land, environment, whatever, a perfect reflection or expression of the king, his authority, his government. It's a land that has been totally conquered and filled up with the the life, the will. I'm saying this in a bunch of different ways, just hoping that it will kind of sink in. It's a land that's been totally conquered by the life or the will of the king in such a way that when you see the kingdom, you're really just seeing the expansion of the king, the enlargement of the king. And that's what we're talking about. When we talk about, when we talk about the increase of Christ, and, and we talk about that a lot, we're, we're not talking about you getting more of Christ. We're always talking about Christ getting more of you. We're not talking about getting a whole bunch of Christs. You know, that's not what that's not what the kingdom of David was about. It, was, it wasn't about getting a whole bunch of Davids. It was about the one David removing everything in the land that was not in perfect subjection to him, who was who was uh, uh, you know in a lot of ways spreading throughout the land. The, the law of God, the priesthood of God, the, the, the ways of God, the righteousness of God, the faith, whatever. He, he, was, he was spreading through the land. He, the land wasn't getting more Davids. It was getting the one David increasing and expanding. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and filling up the land so that no matter where you went in the in the kingdom of Israel, as long as it was within the boundaries of Israel, you were going to experience something of David's reign. Now, friend, the land is, I'm just going to say it unequivocally and totally uh, without any desire to argue this because I, there's no argument in me. The land is your soul. That's what it is. There's a territory that God purchased, promised to fill with himself. And it is his purpose to fill that land with his own glory. That is his own self-expression. That's what glory is. Glory is God expressing himself. We come to glory when we come into Christ, and Christ is the full manifestation of glory. We glorify God when His very life and nature comes from Him, is formed in us, and is offered back to Him. But glory in itself, as a, as a word, is the self-revelation or communication of Himself. So, God has had, and He says, he says it in Numbers, He says it in the Prophets. I have some verses here. Spanish. Uh, well, maybe I don't have them in here. Well, you know the one in um, 
you, you know the one in Numbers uh, fourteen twenty one, I think, or somewhere in there. He says, he says, look, you, you, you Israelites aren't going to go into my land and, and accomplish the things that I've that I've saved you for. And what were those things that God? What did God want from them? Now think about this. He didn't want to just get them out of Egypt because once he got them out of Egypt. He kept trying to do something and, and he told them to follow a cloud and to bring them. The cloud was always going somewhere and they were following it. It was always going towards the land. And it's not until Numbers 14 when they refused to go into the land that you stop seeing that cloud because the cloud was bringing them to the land. So God did saving them from Egypt wasn't his purpose. What was his purpose? His purpose was to, to take them into a particular, very specific land. And he says it like this. He says, as surely as I live, though you guys don't want to go in, I am going to fill this land with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And then and then, even after they do that, even after they do that in type and shadow, at least with, uh, you know, with David and Solomon, the prophets later are still talking about that same goal, but with a different land and a different kind of glory. <clears throat> now you know there's <clears throat> you know there's two there's two kinds of glory. Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter three. He says there's the glory, the first glory, which is the glory of the shadows, the glory of the uh, you know, in other words, the self-revelation of God in shadows, in things like tabernacles and and miracles and clouds and and glowing faces and and all the things in the old covenant that were physical, natural things that eyeballs could see that were revealing the who and the what of God. But there's a greater glory, a glory that Paul says further on in that same chapter that makes the first glory seem like not even glory at all. A much greater glory, and that glory is in the face of Christ, not in the face of Moses. It's in a new tabernacle, not the old tabernacle. It's in a new law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, not the law of the letter. And the the new glory, what is it except the the actual pure, substantial self-communication of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he gives to you. You know, what is it? First Timothy something, two something. For this reason you are called by the gospel of our Lord Jesus I'm sorry. For this reason you are called by the gospel to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what a strong statement to gain the glory of the, what is that except to be filled with the the action to have your soul from corner to corner every high place brought down every every imagination cast to the ground everything contrary to the mind nature and will of the king absolutely leveled and and every circumcised fleshy thing in you that has not submitted itself to the reign of David cut off I mean there's a great death involved in you being filled with the glory of God an an incredible uh, judgment involved and we'll probably get to that later but the glory God had this thing. So even after even after David accomplished the type and shadow version 
uh, of filling up the land with the glory of God, Habakkuk and Isaiah. And the prophets begin to say, you know what? That never really got the job done. God is still going to fill his land with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Or the one place says, fill it with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover, cover the sea. And, uh, and, 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 and that's just, I mean, that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4. Because, you know, Hebrews chapter 4, God, he, the author of Hebrews says, look, God gave them a rest on the seventh day. The seventh day, you know, God rested from his labors. And then he gave that to them in Israel, too, and demanded it to be as a picture of the seventh day rest. And then he said, Joshua brought them into the land. And that also was a picture of the seventh day rest. And the, But after going through this list of types and shadows, the, the author of Hebrews says, but there remains a rest for the people of God. That, none of those things got the job done. They were all pictures of it. They, didn't, they weren't truly a rest for the human soul. They were pictures of rest. And yet there remains a day, a day that is a, a light, a day that is a man, a day that is a life, into which the soul can, can enter in and find true rest and the elimination of man's works and all, all the things that the rest picture. <clears throat> so, so what he's saying in Hebrews, Hebrews 3 and 4 there is none of these rests got the job done, but there remains a rest that, that does. And then he says, be diligent to enter into that day of rest, you know. Well, the same thing could be said about um, the kingdom of God. You know, there was a kingdom. There was lots of pictures of the kingdom, actually. I mean, it was going right back to Genesis chapter 1, there was a picture of the kingdom when God gave Adam the whole creation and said, reign over it, increase, subdue it, have dominion. And that, was, that, that, that didn't get the job done. I mean, that was a picture of it, but God had a lot, he had a lot more pictures to paint before he even got done painting pictures and brought the reality. And he painted pictures with Joshua and with David and of Solomon and and then compared all the other kings to David. And then all of a sudden, the prophets start speaking. I want to look at a few. Well, well yeah, let me just get there. I'll get there in a second. I want to, I want to look at a little bit of what Daniel says about the, the coming kingdom. Because it's, 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 it's awesome. But to finish my point. Uh, I just want to, when you think of the kingdom of God, I don't want you to think about anything other than... God filling up a creation with himself, with his own self-revelation in such a way that the one in the kingdom becomes the expression of the king. The one who is knowing that government has become an instrument of that nature, an instrument of righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter Romans chapter 6. Actually, that word is weapon, a weapon of righteousness. And, um, and, and I don't, I don't, I, I, we, we just, there's so many other uh, ideas and imaginations we've attached to the word kingdom of God. And, and my goodness, friends, if there's, if there's one thing that we need to understand is that there's only one, there's only one thing that God has created that can actually bear that self-revelation and, and be conformed to it. It's not a natural city. 
It's not a natural creation. Listen, a city can't do this thing. People, I'm saying that because people look around the world and, and, and they're waiting for God to establish his kingdom, which is, is silly for like 14 reasons, one of which is that he already did. But the, 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 one of the most silly reasons is, is that God can't fill a building with his own self-revelation and nature and substance. He can't fill a, a natural government. I mean, that is a government that runs by natural laws with natural committees. I mean, why would he want to do that? He, he can't fill a natural land with the second kind of glory. He can't do it. And, and everyone's looking around wondering, you know, we're exactly like the Jews. Exactly like the Jews, who had fifteen, you know, hundred ways of interpreting the kingdom of God, and none of them were spiritual and internal, you know. <clears throat> and Christ couldn't have told us in a more clear way that the kingdom of God was spiritual and internal, and yet we're we're still, you know, all these 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 statements that people make, you know. Till kingdom come, you know. I mean, people say that all the time. Like, I'm going to be, you know, doing this till kingdom come. Till kingdom come. What did Jesus say? Till kingdom come. That doesn't make sense. Or uh, you know, songs, um, some songs that I actually like. But <clears throat> they, you know, they'll throw in this verse about when he comes to reign. When he comes to reign. Have we not read the New Testament? I mean, when he comes to reign, he'd been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and and uh, joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, the kingdom of, behold, you know, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is coming. What do you mean when he comes to reign? Uh, you know, Christ will come and establish his kingdom. When? In the millennium. When in the millennium? What do you think? I mean, all those things. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still kind of a little hoarse, but. I just I just think we don't even stop. And like, <clears throat> have, have we read the Bible? The, the first thing that Jesus says, the, only, the primary thing that Jesus says as he traveled for three and a half years throughout Jerusalem is that the kingdom came. And and there's theologies because we're so unfamiliar with the reign of the life of Christ in our soul, the actual government that fills and conquers and glorifies God in the soul. We're so unfamiliar with that reality that we actually create theologies, number some of which are extremely popular. Um, that said that the, the, uh, some of you probably know the, the uh, part of the dispensational um, idea is that Christ came, offered his kingdom to the Jews. Um, they refused it, and so he withdrew the offer. And he's going to come back one day and re-offer it to the Jews. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean... Are you kidding me? How did that get to be so popular? I'll tell you how that got to be so popular. Because we, because it makes sense of our lack of experience of the kingdom of God. That's why that's popular. 
that that's that's popular first of all because we have our eyes fixed on a bunch of external natural things and because we don't think we know that the, if the kingdom of God is here man where, where there's still poverty in the world must not have really come you know what did Jesus say the poor you will always have with you you know and he said oh the kingdom of God must not be here yet because um well, there's not peace in the world. There's a lot of war. What did Jesus say? I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword, you know. And, and, and we're like, well, it must not be here. Because we could just go down this list of things. And Jesus himself said, that's not the thing that I was bringing. That's, that, that's nothing to do with it. And, and, and so, so we say, well, I certainly don't feel like God's reigning in me very much, you know. And so it must be something he offered because he he did I mean we don't deny the fact that he talked a lot about it in, in, in Matthew Mark Luke and John and so what do we do with this what do, you know I, I believe Jesus is real I believe the Bible is real I believe he talked about a kingdom don't see the kingdom not experiencing the kingdom got to do something about this they refused his offer and he's going to come back later and offer it again to the Jews for the last seven years of the tribulation or whatever Come on, folks. Listen. That is so... And I, I don't usually like this kind of, you know, talk about theologies and how silly they are, but sometimes you just got to call a spade a spade here. If you're, if you're waiting for the kingdom of God, how in the world are you going to experience it now? You know, how in the world are you going to even turn your heart to, to even think about even wonder if Paul meant something when he talked about reigning in life. Reigning in life. The life of Christ reigning in the soul of man. Or even just verses like Galatians uh, uh, 4.19. Christ being formed in you. What do you think he's forming in you? You know, a smile He's forming a kingdom. What did he plan? What, what did he say when he when he was throwing the 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 uh, the seeds, uh, you know, into the different kinds of soil? And, and, and they were, you know, some were going by the by the path, and some were whatever, and then some were actually growing thirty, sixty, hundred fold. And the, and, and the disciples said, "We have no idea what you just said." And, and then and then uh, and then Jesus said, well, "I'll explain it to you." You know, first, of course, he usually says something like, are you so dull of hearing? You know, like, what? He's serious? There's no faith going on here? You can't understand? But he says, I'll explain this to you. The seed that I'm sowing is the word of the kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. What does that mean? It's the... It's the word that increases, it grows, it conquers, it expands, it destroys things, it, it divides. It, you know what I mean? That's what the word of the kingdom is, that's what it does. And uh, anyway, Jesus came with this desire. And it's right there in what we call the Lord's Prayer. The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven well 
there's a lot we could say about this, but you, you, you know, you know that um, heaven. Well, they were waiting for the kingdom of heaven. You know, no, nobody, no, you know. Sometimes I'll say, you know, that nobody went to heaven before Christ brought heaven to us. And people sometimes say, "Wow, that's crazy!" I mean, where'd you get that idea? And what about Moses and Daniel and Elijah? He got taken up to heaven. You know, well, I, I know he did an external kind of pictorial way, but Jesus is the one that says that. John three thirteen. John three thirteen. Let me look this up here. It's pretty plain. It says, "No one has ascended into heaven." <laughs> there you go. Except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Well, why is that? Well, because until the cross, it was impossible for the kingdom of heaven to have anything to do with a people that were of a totally different kind and and totally incongruent with the mind and nature of God. The way had to be prepared, the life of the kingdom, the one who was the king, the one who was in himself the embodiment of God's reign and perfect obedience and perfect alignment and experience. The way had to be prepared. And that's why it says later in, in Hebrews 13, I mean, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, that the ones prior to the cross all died in faith, waiting for, where am I? Waiting for the things that were promised. One in 13, it says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Later it talks about them waiting for the better resurrection. And then at the very end it says, uh, and these all having uh, obtained a testimony through faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. My point is that heaven is this is this um, this reign or rule of God in Christ that man had not truly experienced until the cross, well, first of all, until heaven came to earth in the form of a man and began to demonstrate in everything that he did and said, everything that Jesus did and said was a demonstration of the kingdom of God. You know? He cast out demons and says, look, if I cast out, you know, Beelzebub can't cast out demons, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know? Or or, uh, well, all of his words, what, what, what were his parables? What, what did he say when he started a parable? The kingdom of heaven is like 
you know, it's like leaven that increases and fills up. The kingdom of heaven is like, and, and he just, what's he describing? Something they have no idea about. And he's bringing it to them as something that they were waiting for. Something that man had not experienced. And and I just want to say this real, real plainly. Waiting for the kingdom of God was the Jews' expectation. Not our expectation. They were the ones waiting for the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be experiencing the kingdom of God. Not waiting for it. And, and, and they had a lot of good reasons to be waiting for it. Ones that we don't have. For instance, Daniel tells them that there's going to be um, for Daniel in, in the time of the Babylonian <clears throat> Empire. If you're not familiar with this, you really uh, should read Daniel here. Um, Maybe I'll flip here and read a little bit. Daniel, Daniel two, Ezekiel, Daniel. Okay. Um, Daniel two. You remember? Remember this? Uh, remember this whole thing here. This is all really cool, but. Um, Where he's describing this this uh, this giant statue, and and the giant statue is what is it? It's four world kingdoms: Babylonian first, then taken over by the Medo-Persian, and then they were conquered by Alexander the Great, and then uh, with the Greeks, and uh, <clears throat> and that was kind of divided up and. And, and, and but then Rome, the Roman Empire took over that. And then he says, in the t- so so he he has it all pictured in this big statue. Remember the head of gold, that's the Babylonian kingdom. The breasts and arms of, of silver, the belly and its thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then he says this. Okay, well, first of all, isn't it weird <clears throat> that the king, rather than like. I mean, he's pretty impressed when Daniel tells him the dream. And, and, and he, you know, elevates Daniel to be, you know, one of the big wise men in, in, in Babylon. But then right after that, he goes and makes a big statue of the thing he saw in his dream and makes everyone worship it. And what's the point? The whole point of the dream was that God was destroying that statue with his own kingdom. But look at what he says here. All right. The head of the statue... I'm in uh, 2.33. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You continued looking, uh, Daniel talking to the king, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. God, I love that. Till a stone was cut out without hands. It, it didn't come. It didn't come from the statue. It didn't have anything to do. It came from somewhere else, and man's hands had nothing to do with it. A stone's a stone was cut out without hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron 
and clay and it crushed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time, all in one big judgment, all in one big cross. They all came down at the same time like chaff from the summer threshing floor and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then, he, and then he gives, where does he give the interpretation? A little bit later. Oh, excuse me. Um, so, so, so he talks about, and he, and he talks about the four kingdoms. For, for, and then he's, and you know, he, he, the king's like, what, what, what's all that mean? And he says, okay, you're the, he says, you, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head. You, you've got the, you've got this great, powerful kingdom, you know, and then, and then coming after you is this one, and then that one, and then that one, and then, and then he says, and at the time of the fourth kingdom, the 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 feet, um, he says, and in the days of those kings, the kings of the of the, of the way, what ends up being the Roman kings, which incidentally is past. <laughs> I just want to get that get that out there. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are waiting for the Roman kingdom to come back so that he can crush it with a stone. You know what I'm saying? Hello. Um, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. Now, again, if we're looking for a natural crushing and putting an end to these kingdoms, like the like the, the blowing up of the world or something like that, I don't think we're seeing the point of this crushing. When did when did the when did Christ gather up into Himself and put away and judge all of those earthly kingdoms, the, the kingdom of Adam at the cross? When did He? Say, when I am lifted up, I will gather all men to myself. When did he? When, when one died, all died. When did he do that? You know, even when God judged uh, Egypt, he didn't actually physically annihilate Egypt. He just judged it, separated from himself, and brought out a people that had nothing to do with that former kingdom. Egypt kept going. But Israel, God says in, in Exodus 14... The Israel are the Egyptians that you see today. You will never see again from now on forever. They were gone. So, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. The great, great, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Well, the dream was true, and the interpretation was trustworthy. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus announced when he came. Now, if you didn't know exactly when the timing was about this, 
he gives it to you in Daniel chapter 9. Just in case you thought it might be two or three thousand years later. He says, 77s have been decreed. Daniel 9, uh, 24. 77s. I mean, 70... Some some translations say weeks, but it's actually just the word seven. 70 groups of seven years. That is to say, 490 years have been decreed for your people. Speaking to Daniel... <clears throat> and here's what's going to happen at the end. Here's what's going to happen to wrap up the natural Israel, the natural Jerusalem, the natural people. Seventy years have been decreed to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up or to fulfill vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place, so that you can know and discern from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which happened under Cyrus. There will be 70 sevens, 490 years. Now some people, there's different scholars that say, you know, they have the time figured out based on, there's, there's actually a few different decrees and, and there's, there's a few different ways of working that out so that some think it corresponds with the birth of Christ, some think it corresponds with his baptism, the 490 years was up at the baptism uh, of John, some have it going right to the cross. When I, the, 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 you know, I don't want to argue all those things. Um, Part of our most common um, theologies today is that there's a 2,000 plus year gap between the 69th and the 70th week. You've probably heard that before. Because certainly the kingdom hasn't come. So he must have implied, because he talks about it in, in divisions, there's 70 weeks no, no, seven weeks and then 69 and then the last week. And because the first, in the first seven weeks, that's when the actual city and the temple was rebuilt and whatever. And then, but they say there's this non-mentioned but very important under, gap between um, the last, uh, you know, the, the 69th and the 70th week and, and Again, I don't really care about this as an issue of theology, and 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 I don't I don't hardly ever I don't know if I ever have mentioned this as as an issue of of uh, of importance. The thing, the only reason I bring it up now is because I'm running out of time. Is because very simply, we should not be waiting for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. What is it? It is the reign and rule of a king. Where is it? It's in the soul of those who have been joined to him and become a kingdom of priests. What's the purpose of it? It's not world peace. It's not the end of poverty. It's not whatever people say it might be in the natural realm. 
the purpose of it is the fulfillment of what the purpose was back here in the Old Testament to fill the land with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The purpose of the kingdom is to fill you with him. That's it. The kingdom came so that your soul could become the conquered territory of David, the one who removes from his land every uncircumcised Philistine until there are no more enemies in the land. The house of the Lord can be built and a king can reign in wisdom, righteousness, and peace. Peace, not peaceful feelings. Peace, absence of enemies, absence of flesh, absence of that which is contrary to the king. What does Paul say? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And and if, if we're waiting for that, then that's the only reason, again, I, I, I don't... I don't I don't like to argue theology, and, and if someone writes me an email after hearing this and says, how can you say blah, 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 I probably will say, you know, nothing. I don't know, I'll probably say something like, I don't want to argue with you. But the only reason I, I mention it is because the kingdom of God, should, friends, the kingdom of God should be our, not our expectation in terms of time, but our present and continual expectation in terms of experience. Growing, taking captive every thought unto the obedience of Christ in you. Casting down every high thing that has exalted itself against the true knowledge of God. Every speculation and imagination that's against the true knowledge of God, that should be happening in us so that the Lord is glorified in His land. So that the self-revelation of God fills up your soul as the waters cover the sea. So I'll stop with that. I went kind of long, but we have a few more minutes for... um,